0: I'm pulling out a driveway. We all know what that means. It's time from the drive to work. Okay. Today, I'm gonna to talk all about conventions. So one of the things that we do uh, in the game industry is we have lots of game conventions. Um, not all of them are exactly game conventions. Some of them are broader, but games are part of it. Um, and so one of the things that we do is we go to a lot of conventions. Uh, we being wizards goes to a lot of conventions. Um and I personally have been to a lot of conventions. And it dawned on me that there were a lot of interesting focal points in um magic that all sort of revolved around different conventions. So I'm gonna talk about different gaming conventions and the roles magic interacted with them. So uh hope you guys enjoy it. So we're start with Gen Con. So Gen Con uh is a convention, I think it's now held in Indianapolis. It used to be held in Milwaukee. Um so, before uh, Dungeon Dragons was owned by Wizards of the Coast, it was, owned, it was owned by a company named TSR. I don't know what that stands for. Uh, that's a good trivia question, but I don't. Um, <laughs> so, um, TSR was in um, Wisconsin. I think they were in Milwaukee. Um, anyway, they started a convention, I think it was back in the 70s, uh, as a role-playing convention, but mostly for Dungeon Dragons. But, um... Over the years, it sort of grew and became... Uh, I mean, at its core, it's a role-playing game convention. But it, it's become more than just that. And there's a lot of other games and stuff there. And it's. It, I think Gen Con is the biggest gaming convention, I think, in the U.S. Um, anyway, so Gen Con has a bunch of ties to Magic. So let's talk about that. Okay, first, in 1993, uh, Gen Con was where Magic premiered. Where it was sold for the first time. Um... Back in 1993, and uh, I did a whole podcast where I uh, I did a, a 20 year 25 year video with Richard Garfield and Peter Atkinson. I shared a bunch of stories. I'm going to do a quick recap of this story, but if you want to hear the longer drawn out version of some of these stories, uh, they're in that podcast. Um, but anyway, uh, basically what happened was the convention started on Thursday, and the product was being sh- was had been sent from Belgium to Seattle and it was being rerouted from Seattle to Milwaukee. Uh, And it didn't get there on Thursday when the convention started. And I think it didn't get there until the middle of the day on Friday. Uh, And all the people waiting uh, went down to the loading dock to help carry it back so they could buy it. Um, Anyway, uh, it was a smash hit in 93. It was sort of the hot game of the convention. Uh, And Magic made a big, bold start. Um, Interestingly... Uh, later that year, my first time... Um, my first time uh, seeing Magic was actually at San Diego Comic-Con, which we'll talk about. Uh, and then my first time buying Magic was at Orcon, which is a uh, Los Angeles-based game convention. Anyway, uh, so Gen Con in 93 uh, had the premiere of Magic. So 94 Gen Con um, was... Uh, the first world championship was held there. Zach Dolan from the United States defeated uh, Bertrand Lestrade of France. Zach's car broke down on the way to the tournament, but he i he hitchhiked or something. He, he somehow got to the tournament, ended up winning and becoming the first world champion. Um, and uh, interestingly, I flew myself to Gen Con 94 because at the time I was writing the puzzles for the duelists, but I wanted to do more. Uh, and so I flew myself, I knew Catherine Haynes, the editor-in-chief of the Duelist, was going to be there. Uh, and while I was there, I got a chance to meet her. Uh, I pitched her on some ideas for some articles. I actually wrote two articles at G- that Gen Con 94. Uh, there was one in the Duelist magazine called An Empty Jeer at Gen Con. Uh, that term didn't really stick. Uh, talking about what it's like to be a magic player at Gen Con. Uh, and, and I, I talked a bit about the world championships and stuff. Uh, and then, um, I also covered the the finals of the world championship. I and Chris Page, who uh, of the East Coast Shafters, I did a whole podcast on the on the uh, the Alpha playdrafters, which I talked about. Chris, um, he and I transcribed the finals, and then I wrote it up for. There's a thing called the Duels Convocation um, magazine. So the DCI stands for Duels Convocation International. So originally, before it was international, just called Duels Convocation, uh, and they had a if you were part of it, they sent you this, um, I'm not sure what to call, but it was like a, a black and white, not really a magazine, but like a, like a, like a little mini magazine. It, it was black and white, though; it wasn't full glossy or anything. Uh, and in it, I did the play-by-play of the World Championships. I, um, I, I, I literally, like, here's what he had in his hand. Here's what he drew. Here's what he played. Um, and at the time, the rules were we weren't allowed to list the deck lists. I would later list the deck lists. I kept them, and I later put them in a duelist. But um, at the time, so kind of to know what the decks were, you had, like, I, I commented every card that got drawn and played so that you, you could kind of piece the decks together by looking at, you know, I didn't tell you everything, but between the three games, it gave you a, a pretty good sense of what the decks were doing and probably most of the deck lists, if not all of the deck lists. Um, uh, the other big Gen Con moment for me... Um, was Gen Con of 98. That was where we had the pre-release for Unglued. Um, we were coming out... So Unglued was, in, in many ways, the first supplemental product at a time in which we didn't really have the, the verbiage for a supplemental product. Um, and we didn't quite know what to do with it. We, we, we had started doing pre-releases, but we decided, because it was a special kind of set, what we would do is, at Gen Con, we would have pre-releases... Uh, all weekend long. So it wasn't one singular pre-release. It was Flights. But if you wanted to play this product for the first time, but before it was ever out, like this was was the pre-release uh, experience. And this is prior to people knowing what was in the set. So like this was, if you played the Unglu pre-release, you didn't know what the cards did until you opened up the booster pack. We don't want we don't to really get that anymore. Um, but anyway, um, and then that was the event that I had judged dressed as a chicken. Um, the very short story was... Uh, we were brainstorming uh, ideas. Like, what could we do to make this more of a silly, fun sort of thing? Uh, and I suggested that I could head judge dressed as a chicken. Uh, and the meeting basically was like, okay, done with brainstorming. Let's move on to things we're doing. That, we're going to do that. And like like me suggesting, I, I felt like two minutes later, I. Uh, and what happened was they actually got me, we rented a chicken suit from, um, from Seattle. We brought it with us. And it had a lot of... Um, dust on it I guess because there were like feathers in the costume and I ended up getting pretty sick uh, I got bronchitis or something from it um, I actually lost my voice by the end of the weekend which is not something that happens that, all that often to me um, but regardless of of uh, getting sick from the suit I did enjoy myself immensely uh, Unglued uh, was a everyone really had fun at the pre-release and uh, I think I took a lot of pictures with people me dressed as a chicken so um, anyway that is Gen Con um, Gen Con, oh, the other magic-related thing is uh, Peter Akison, who was the, one of the original founders of the company and the CEO for quite a while, um, after we got sold to Hasbro uh, and he ended up leaving and, you know, made a lot of money from the sale, uh, part, he used part of that money to buy Gen Con. And now Peter owns, his company owns Gen Con. So another magic tie between magic and Gen Con. Um, okay. Another convention. So, almost all of these conventions, by the way, are in the summer. That's when most conventions, gaming conventions happen. So, next one I want to talk about is Origins. So, Origins is run by Gamma, which is the Game Association Manufacturers of America, I think. Um, And it is basically for people who make games, American companies that make games. And this is... So, um... Uh, Gen Con, usually is in the same city. It did move from Milwaukee to N- Indianapolis, but I mean, mostly it's been in the same city. Uh, Origins, I think, every year is in a different city. Um, interestingly, the first time I ever went to Origins was before Magic even came out. Uh, Origins was in Las Vegas, and I went. To, I took a seminar in game design, um, and that was my first time ever being at at, at, uh, at Origins. Um, okay, so Origins '93 was the first time that Magic cards were seen by the public. So Origins was before Gen Con. It was about a month before Gen Con. Uh, Gen Con was uh, August 93, and um, Origins was like July 93. And um, they'd gotten back the, press, the, the test printings, meaning uh, what the way the printers will work is they'll, they'll, they'll run off the first batch, and they'll send it in to make sure that everything's okay. And so uh, they use those cards to make decks, and then they played with people at the booth um, and they showed off um, people could see the cards for the first time and they had decks so you can sit and play the game Um, and it was from that that um, one of the issues at the time was Wizards had a big shipment coming but they needed to sell more of the product to pay for the first shipping Um, and it was at that convention I also told the story in the podcast with uh, Peter and um, Richard about Peter and Richard shooting the video um, and th- 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 that tells the story more drawn out. But the shorter version of the story is that Peter was able to find a distributor that was interested enough in the game that they paid up front. You know, they got, they got a discount to, to, to put money up front. And that Peter was able to use that money to finish paying for the shipping to get the first shipment. Um, so in many ways, if Origins hadn't got... well. Gen Con, you know, the reason they were able to have the cards at Gen Con was partially due to the fact that at Origins—once again, remember, Origins is as much a—I mean, uh, the public's allowed inside, but it has a lot of a, a business aspect to it, and that uh, it was really important to sort of get more distributors on board to get them to— um to buy Magic because Magic earlier like once Magic started going on sale it sold like hotcakes but before it was on sale before the the audience could buy the product the, the early part was trying to get distributors to pick it up for those that don't know um, for a lot of Magic we sell distributors and they sell to the individual stores so the first part about selling the game was getting the distributors to purchase it uh, and then they had to get the stores to carry it but uh, without getting the distributors to carry it we didn't have the money to pay for it so that, that proved important um 94 Origins was the first U.S. Nationals, uh, won by Bo Bell. Uh, He's from California. Um, Interestingly, I and my dad actually played in the 94 U.S. Nationals. Um, It's the only U.S. Nationals I ever played in. Um, I'll talk about 95 in a second. Um, So what happened was it was in San Jose. Uh, My dad lives in Tahoe, and and I lived in L.A. at the time. So he and I met up in San Jose. And um, so the story I always tell is so Steve Bishop. Oh, inter- interestingly, um, uh, I talk about how a lot of my early magic was convention oriented. Uh, the first time I saw magic was at San Diego Comic Con. The first time I purchased magic was, I think it was called Orcon. And then uh, LA has three game conventions, at least they did 20 years ago uh, one around Memorial Day, one around Labor Day, and one in the winter. Um, and the winter one, is the first time I met anybody from Wizards of the Coast. In fact, it was Steve Bishop, for I'm about to tell the story about. Uh, and Steve Bishop, uh, at the time, he was part of the events crew. He, he ran events, organized play. Um, he eventually got in charge of it. I don't know if he was in charge of it when I first met him. I don't think he was. Um, but Steve used to wear leather pants, and and uh, um, anyway, he was quite a character. I he was the first employee I met from Wizards of the Coast. I met him at that convention, and. Uh, the duels had just come out and I had an idea for a puzzle column and so I told Steve about it and he said, oh, well really what you need to do is contact Catherine Haynes who was the editor of The Duelist and so uh, he got me the contact information, I think and then I sent it in and anyway, that led to me getting in The Duelist and all sorts of things so anyway, um, that is where I first... so a lot of my early interactions with magic were all convention-based interestingly enough okay, back to Origins. So 94 Origins was the U.S. Nationals. So Steve Bishop stands up at the beginning of the tournament and says, "Okay, for this tournament that's just about to begin, we are not allowing any cards in it that have an expansion symbol. So at the time, Arabian Nights and Antiquities were out and revised, although corsets didn't have expansion symbols. Um, So if you had a card from Arabian Nights or from Antiquities, you weren't allowed to play it. But here's the tricky part some of the cards got reprinted in revised and revised didn't have an expansion symbol so if you had one of the cards that was in one of the in arabian Nights or antiquities but was reprinted in revised you were allowed to have the revised version but not the version from arabian Nights or antiquities so Bo bell was playing a discard deck and he had four uh, of the rack um that was in antiquities and so he needed and the rack got reprinted in revised he needed four racks my dad, I think, had four. Anyway, my dad traded Bo um, revised versions for—I'm not sure what the trade was. But anyway, the so for tri, for really obscure trivia. In the winning 94 U.S. national decks, the, the four racks in that deck were my dad's that were traded away. Very insignificant, but I, part of the story. Um, anyway— uh, so a year later, 95 Origins, which was in Philadelphia, we had the 95 U.S. Nationals. That's the one where Mark Justice defeated Henry Stern. Um, also, uh, the top four was those two plus Mike Long and Pete Leier, all of which would go on to be pro-tour players. Um, and uh, they would be the, that would be the first U.S. team, and they won. It's the first time... Uh, first time there was a team competition at all and even then 95 Worlds which was held in Seattle um, I I did a whole podcast on 95 Worlds Um, we didn't really have a team competition but I kept track of all the the stats and so America won there was no prize but America won it's the first time Uh, and in fact they won Uh, America's average was the cutoff for top 8 because two of them both Justice and um, Stern made the top 8 of 95 Nationals in fact um, they both made the semifinals they they were 3rd and 4th respectively Um, Okay, so uh, 95 Origins is um, the first time we ever filmed a finals. We had cameras there. I was actually uh, the spotter. I was on stage. Um, The reason I didn't play in 95 Nationals, by the way, was um, somewhere between 94 and 95, they decided that they wanted my puzzles to use cards from upcoming sets. Um, Since the magazine came out every two months that they didn't want to always have to wait for my puzzles to have cards. Like, they wanted to make sure that I had the most recent cards. But that meant that I had to work ahead of time, so I had to see cards before they came out. So I, used to, I they used to send me the god books of the cards. Uh, the guidebooks are just a printing of, like, all, nine cards per page that had pictures of all the cards, so that I could see all the cards. Um, and this allowed me um, to make puzzles ahead of time. But because I was seeing um, stuff ahead of time, I wasn't allowed to play in tournaments, so I started judging, um, and so um, I, in fact, w- w- was one of the judges for 90, uh, Sorry, 95 regionals in Los Angeles, the one that—Henry um, actually didn't win that. Uh, a guy named Joel Unger won that, but uh, Mark Justice came in second uh, at that and qualified for a world—and then Henry qualified, I think, on pro points—or not pro points, sorry, pro points didn't exist yet—on um, rating, I, I think is maybe what he applied on. Anyway, um, so 95 nationals—oh, uh, that's also the term—have you ever heard this story— um, where the player meeting lasted three hours, where they hashed out how exactly they were going to play. Um, there was a sealed portion, and they ended up the compromise was it was like a giant. It was just a lot of cards for the sealed portion. Anyway, um, some of the early, some of the early tournaments had a lot more quirks to them than than later on. Um, so origins would be the home of U.S. nationals. Uh, for many years. Five, six years. Um, probably the most famous... So, have you ever heard me talk about there was a finals between Mike Long and Matt Lindy? Matt Lindy ended up winning. Uh, that I have said it was one of... Might be my pick for the best, like, match of all time. Uh, just as far as, like, excitement and the crowd. And um, basically, for those that don't know the story, and I some somewhere I've told... I mean, if you want, somewhere I've told the longer version. But the real short version is... Uh, Mike Long is the, the the person that everyone loves to hate. Uh, and um, Matt Lindy is a young kid who would later on have other top eights. He was a good player, but he was a young kid at this point. And it's the finals. And it's like, who's going to become the U.S. national champion? This fresh young upcomer or the the evilest man in magic, uh, Mike Long? And so... Um, the commentary Chris Bakula and Brian Weissman were doing the commentary because at the point I had been doing commentary at the pro tour and um, the audience was in this giant room and then like three football fields away in in behind multiple doors in a studio they were shooting the the, the live action we were the audience was watching it far away with the commentators in front of them live even commentating uh, and they did a really good job of setting up that Basically, the whole, the whole, the crux, the final game mattered on Mike was playing, I think, Prosperous Bloom, and he had one moment of weakness where if um, Matt Lindy had the right card at the right moment, it was the it was the one opportunity where he was going to beat him. Mike had to let it down his guard for one turn, and if Mike, I think it was an advance or something, if Mike had, i said, if Matt Lindy had the right card, he was going to beat Mike. But otherwise, Mike was going to win, and if he won, he was going to be the U.S. national champion. Uh, and um, Chris and Brian had done a great job of setting up that was going on. Um, and so when the moment happened on screen, like everybody in the moment understood the meaning of the moment. And so it just, the audience start, screamed so loud when he played the card that, f- oh, I'm sorry, he, when he drew, he drew the card. When he drew the card, the audience uh, was so excited and made such a loud noise that Mike Long, you know, three football fields away, realize that he lost the game, that he, 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 he had the card he needed. Um, anyway, so uh, Origins... Uh, there's lots of Origins, but those, those are the major magic events. Let me, let me jump on to some other events. Dragon Con. So Dragon Con is an invention in Atlanta. Uh, it's not just gaming. It, it is a little more... Uh, a lot of geeky type things. Uh as fantasy and science fiction elements. and uh, it, It's a larger... Than, it's not just a game convention, but gaming is a big part of it. Um... DragonCon is probably most famous for 94. DragonCon had a special card, a promo card, called the Lathny Dragon. Uh, and it was the only place you could get to the Lathny Dragon. It wasn't. Um, and uh, the outroar over the Lathny Dragon made us make a rule uh, where we don't give away unique cards at events. Um, we will do unique cards that you have to buy products to get. Um, you have to you know, buy planeswalker packs or commander decks or the buy a box you, know, you have to buy actual magic products to get unique stuff but you, we no longer say oh well you have to travel to this one city at this one place to go get um, this thing when we, we do do exclusives but they are alternate versions of existing cards they're not unique cards uh, that you would have to go to location and Dragon Con is the place where that happened um, Dragon Con is also my favorite magic story Um, I I know I've told this before, but since we're talking convention stories, I'm going to tell it because it's my favorite story. Um, So it is late night at Dragon Con. It is like 1 a.m. in the morning, um, and there is a middle-aged woman reading a book in the middle of the gaming room. The the, the, the room at 1 a.m., there's still people playing because there's obviously people playing games at 1 a.m. at Dragon Con. Um, But she's kind of in a section that no one's at. She's by herself. She's reading a book. Um... And while well, gaming has come a far way since 1994 and there's a lot more women playing in, you know, uh, at the time in 1994, seeing a middle-aged woman in the middle of the gaming convention, you know, the gaming room at DragonCon was, was a little bit of a thing you didn't see all that much. So I walked up to her to say hello and she saw I was wearing a magic shirt. Um, and she, she asked, she goes, oh, do, do you play magic or whatever? And I'm like, oh, I work on magic. I, I'm one of the people that makes magic. And so she told me the story uh, about her two sons. Uh, her youngest son, um, she said, look, my youngest son is very smart. He's always been—he's had trouble at school because he just gets things so quickly that nothing keeps his attention. And then finally he started playing magic, and that magic really was something that was bigger than he could wrap his brain around, and it really sort of let him focus. And, and it was something that challenged him. And he always had been socially awkward, and it really, for the first time, allowed him to start making friends, and he started building a social network and gaining confidence, and it really brought him out of his shell, and it really um, helps his son. And then his older brother noticed that his younger brother was playing this game, so he wanted to learn about it. So he learned, and she says, my, my older son you know, has dyslexia and ha- has some learning issues, Um, But he was determined to keep up with his brother. And so, you know, he got really invested in the game and it was helping his reading so much that his teacher contacted me and said, what are you doing? I'm seeing this rapid improvement. And so I showed him the game. And so they started uh, a club at the school and they're playing magic at the school now and all these kids are playing. And anyway, you know, the reason I'm even here is I said to my my sons, if you guys do well in school as a reward, I'll take you to Dragon Con. I think they lived in Atlanta. Um, And... You know, obviously they had, and she was there. And she said, Look, you know, I don't know, as someone who makes the game, I don't know if you know quite how important the game has been to me and my family, um, but it has changed our lives. It really it took my son and brought him out and and gave him a social life. My other son taught him to read. And, you know, it just, it really helped my family. And I want to thank you for that. And then she asked if she could give me a hug. And I said she could. Uh, Anyway, that really, that, the reason that story always speaks to me is it really made me. Understand for the first time um, the importance of what the game means to people and, and and kind of how it could be a positive role and how it really could it be a source of good. So anyway, that that the reason I bring up that story is it really spoke to me and it um definitely uh I don't know it really uh, it's one of my interactions that most has kind of changed how I thought about how I, I, I my, my job. So anyway, I, I like to share that story. Okay, uh, next con- San Diego Comic Con. So San Diego Comic-Con is something that I used to go to long before Magic existed. Um, It's the place I first saw in in 93. um, I was asking about Magic because people used to come to my store where I worked. I used to work at the Gamekeeper, And I first heard about Magic because people were coming into our game store looking for it. But we didn't have it. Um, So I was looking for it at San Diego Comic-Con. Nobody had it for sale, but I did find someone who had a deck. And so for the first time ever, I could look through a deck and touch the cards. And I was... It was really exciting. I would later buy it at Orcon, but that's the first time I saw it. Um, I think 94 is the first time that I, uh, I hung out of the booth and got to meet more people. It might be the first time I met some R&D. Um, both 94 and 95, I, I helped out at the, at the booth when I was there. at The Wizards, the Wizards had a booth uh, back then. Um, and then, once I started working at Wizards, I would start flying out. Uh, so, in the early years, we would go. Then, at some point, uh, we stopped. Uh, Wizards stopped going to San Diego Comic-Con, I think, for a while. Anyway, my friend Michael, Michael Ryan, the one who co-created the Weatherlight Saga with me, uh, many years ago, I don't know, like 12 years ago, like, he was going for his job, and he had a hotel room. He's like, hey, come with me. I already got a hotel room. You can, you can stay in the hotel room. Uh, and I went down. I had a blast. And then... I started going every year, and at some point I went to Elaine Chase, who at the time was the brand manager, not as the vice president of, of Magic Brand, uh, and I said, do you mind if I run a magic uh, panel? And she said, fine. And then for a bunch of years, we'd send down a whole bunch of people, and our magic panels had like four or five people on them. Uh, and then we cut back, so I said, well, I'm going to go anyway. Do you mind if I just run a solo panel? And they said, fine. So I've been running a solo panel for the last four or so years. Um, but anyway, uh, San Diego Comic-Con... Uh, We started doing a Magic exclusive there. Uh, We've done the exclusive there for five or so years. Um, Usually what they are is, usually they're Planeswalker cards, but I mean, pre-existing ones, just with new treatments on them. We've tried some of the early ones with this weird black treatment for like black on black. Uh, And then we did some other ones where they were stylistic. Um, When we did Shadows of Interstrad, it was the Gatewatch uh, as zombies with Liliana controlling them. Uh, Then with Amonkhet, it was kind of a hieroglyphic sort of looking thing. Then with Dominaria, it was the Gatewatch posing in front of stained glass where the stained glass represented characters that were in the same color as them, that there's a thematic tie to them. Um, But anyway, San Diego Comic-Con has definitely been a place uh, where, you know, it's once again, it is not a game convention. Uh, It is a comics convention with a lot of pop culture aspects, but there's a gaming component of it. Uh, And there's always events run... Uh, sometimes we've run events in stores, fronts. Now we tend to run it in um, usually the Marriott. Uh, or, yeah, usually it's the Marriott. Um, which the, the next door, the, the thing next door. The, we, we have a big gaming area. Um, but that is San Diego Comic-Con. Next, PAX. Uh, PAX stands for Penny Arcade Expo. Um, so that, what yeah, the, the, so now they call PAX is spread out. Originally, there was just one PAX. It was in Seattle. And now they call it PAX. They called it PAX Prime for a while. Now I think they call it PAX West. There's a PAX East that is in Boston, I believe. There's a PAX South that I think is in Austin. And there's a PAX Australia, I believe. At least they've had a PAX Australia. Um, Anyway, there's there's now a bunch of different PAXs. Uh, PAX is more centered on uh, video games. I mean, it's a gaming convention, but it's more geared toward uh, video games. Although, there's some tabletop there, and we're there. Um, I mean, also, we obviously have a video game component with um, Magic the Gathering Arena and Magic of the Gathering Online. Um, anyway, we... PAX, PAX has, has fluctuated. Um, in the early days, um, we had a booth. Uh, then we started doing a thing where we had a party. And for many years, we had a party. And then we'd reveal the new set at the party because the timing worked out where the fall it was the right time to start showing off things about the fall set. So for many years, we had a party. Um... Then, for a few years, we sort of took over a giant space uh, for Rise of the Eldrazi. The World Championship was there, um, and we, uh, we had a giant Eldrazi bursting out of, the, out of the convention hall and smashing a police car, uh, and um, we had a big show where we broadcast live. I was, I was on air with Will Whedon. Uh, uh, talking about uh, Rise of the Eldra- not Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, Battle for Zendikar, um, and there was uh, we had a bunch of magic celebrities that you could play magic with. I was one of them, uh, and we were playing the Eldrazi. You had to beat us, um, and then the next year for Kaladesh, we rented out the whole theater, and we had a big show that we aired online where I introduced all the Kaladesh mechanics. Uh, and and there, was a, there was a big show that wasn't just me, but I, I did the mechanics part. Um, and also the World Championship was there that year as well. Um, recently, we haven't done quite, done quite as much. Um, I'll get to Hascon in a second. Hascon was the following year, and that ended up uh, pulling a lot of our resources. Um, but anyway, PAX is still something that we we do panels there. I mean, we kind of go up and down how much we do there, depending on what other stuff's going on. Um, but it's definitely, because it's in our backyard, Magic usually has a presence. Um, we usually have a booth Um but it, it is sort of how, how much we do there depends upon a lot of other factors, which gets us to Hascon. Uh, oh, by the way, so some of these, um, I have done podcasts on some of the early worlds which took place at Gen Con uh, every year that I've gone to San Diego Comic Con since I've had my panel, not panel, since I've had my podcast. Um, my, my panels are older than the podcast. Uh, I've done a, I've done a, I've done a podcast on San Diego Comic Con every year. Uh, PAX, I, every year that we did a major thing at it that I was at, uh, I did a um, podcast on PAX. And Hascon. So 2017 was the first Hascon. So Hascon was a convention uh, that Hasbro put together that's Hasbro Properties. Um, I'm not going to remember all the stuff in my head, but beside Magic and Dungeons and Dragons, which obviously is Wizards, um, uh, there is Transformers, there is Nerf. There's uh, My Little Pony. There is Easy Bake Oven and Star Wars and Marvel, they have the Marvel license and um, uh, I don't know, there's lots and lots of uh, different um, things for all different agents. The interesting thing about uh, Hazcon is most conventions are a little bit more focused Like, it's for this group. And this is like, oh, there's lots of different games and things that different people might appreciate, you know. uh, The kids might like like My Little Pony or Easy Bake Oven or Nerf or whatever. And the adults might like Magic or Dungeon Dragons or Transformers or Marvel, you know. And that, there's this sort of things that cross-generational. And so, like, families would come to this event. So it was a a, a really different kind of convention. It's... um, I mean, I've been at a lot of conventions, and the interesting thing is, like, have you ever heard me talk about VidCon, uh, which is not really a gaming convention, but my daughter and I go, and I've done a bunch of podcasts on it. VidCon's filled with teenage girls. That is not normal for a lot of the gaming conventions I go to. Uh, So, HasCon has a lot of little kids. That's something that you don't normally see at most gaming conventions. Uh, You'll see some kids, but not usually teenagers you see. You don't tend to see younger kids, and there are a lot of younger kids at HazCon. Anyway, so we did... um, it was the first time that you could play. Uh, what it was one of the master sets. Uh, I'm blanking on which, whatever the master set was the time. Um, we did a. Um, we celebrated. It was the beginning of our birthday celebrations. We had a big party with with five cakes. Um, once again, if you listen to my Hascon, I, I go into much greater detail. Um, but anyway, it, it was definitely a lot of fun, and um, there were a lot of events, and I got to meet a lot of people, and. One of the interesting things for me is the farther I go from Seattle, the more there are people that I've never met before. Like, you know, in Seattle, um, most of the people who are Magic players in Seattle at some point have run into me, or a lot of them have, just because I go to events. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's, not that un, it's not that odd to run into me at a Magic event. Although, uh, back when we had the larger pre-releases, that, that would be easier to see me. But anyway, people in Seattle, it, it's not that odd to have seen me. Uh, but when you go to the other side of the country, I meet a lot of magic players that I've never met before. And so um, it's, it's a lot of fun, real exciting. Um, and Hascon, the second Hascon, first Hascon was in 2017. Uh, I think it's every other year. So the next Hascon is 2019. And I'll officially announce that I am going to Hascon uh, in 2019. So uh, if, if you uh, are going to be there, uh, I will be there. So hopefully I'll meet you. Um, it, it definitely is a fun. Um, it's a fun convention. I, I if, if if you want to listen more about it, I did a whole podcast on it. It was I didn't know quite, quite what to expect, and actually, admit uh, going into it, I was nervous that it might not all work out so well, and it ended up actually going great. So it was it was a wonderful event. Okay, so I've talked about a lot of conventions in the United States, but I'm going to talk about one convention that is not in the United States: uh, Essen Spiel, which is I think the largest gaming convention in the world. I think. Uh, maybe there's one in Asia I don't know about but um, it's the largest in Europe for sure and and it's bigger than Gen Con which is the largest in the US Um, so uh, it's in Germany so the thing about Germany is gaming is to Germany kind of what movies are to the US like everybody almost in Germany games it's just part of the culture that Germany games are a really big part of German culture Uh, for those that know that there's a lot of games that come out of Germany a lot of German board games um like, uh, Settlers of Catan, for example, is a really famous German game that ended up coming over becoming a bit hit in the U.S. Um, uh, in fact, when I first played Settlers of, of Catan, uh, it was in German because it didn't yet exist. Richard used to play a lot of German games with us uh, after hours, uh, and I got introduced to a lot of German games through Richard, one of which was... Uh, um, we called it Siedler. It was like Siedler de Catan because it's the German name. So I called it Siedler for many years uh, before it... Uh, even now, sometimes instead of saying settlers, I'll say seedlers because that's how I learned about it. Uh, anyway, Essen is this giant game convention. Um, and in the early days, uh, Richard used to always go to it. And usually people would go to it. Peter and Richard and stuff would go. Um, but I'd never been to Essen. And that one of my goals had always been that I wanted to go to Essen. Like, it was one of the conventions that I wanted to go. And then in 2007... Uh, I don't remember how it happened, but we decided to hold... what ended up being the last Magic Invitational at Essen. And it's when Tiago Chan won. won, uh, Snapcaster Mage came from it. Uh, But anyway, I finally got a chance to go. Uh, And, you know, the the event ran all... all three or four days of... of of Essen. But we had plenty of time to walk around, and (laughs) it wasn't... it was huge. Uh, And there was... Like, it was such a big gaming convention that there were sections. Like, this is this kind of game. This is that kind of game. Um, there's a whole section on family games. I bought a whole bunch of games that I brought home uh, that my family played a lot of. Um, in fact, there's a game that Richard introduced us to, which we just call the Ghost Game. Uh, it's whatever Midnight Party is in German. I forget the name. of it. It's Midnight Party is the name, but it's in German. I don't think the game's ever come to the U.S. Uh, and the idea is you're at a, you're at a party, and then this ghost comes out, and you have to hide in rooms and not let the ghost get you. Anyway, Richard introduces to the game, and I, I bought it at Essen and brought it with my kids, and we, we, we played it many a time. Um, but anyway, so Essen, we had the first, uh, well, um, I think the Magic Invitational, um, we had held the Magic Invitational at many Grand prix before, so, um, but I think, I think Essen was the only, well, sorry, uh, the previous three years, we had actually held the Magic Invitational at E3, uh, the electronics, uh, uh, what is it? It's the Entertainment, Electronic Entertainment Expo, which is in Los Angeles. And it's, uh, it's mostly about um, video games, uh, but we were, Magic Online was a thing. And so to promote Magic Online for three years, we had the Magic Invitational at E3. And then uh, it ended up moving to, did it move to Essen next? Anyway, eventually it went to Essen. The last one was at Essen. Um, I think it was E3 for three years, then it went to Essen. Um, and SN was the last year. Um, but anyway, uh, Essen... Essen is definitely something where um, early on, when Magic started spreading to other countries, that I know Essen... Um, I'm not sure whether it was 93 Essen or 94 Essen. If I remember when Essen is. Um, magic uh, was a big hit. The first Essen that Magic was at was a big hit. And a lot of the other... It's how they got a lot of the other countries to... um, Because in other countries, we have different distributors in those countries sell it. And so I know Essen was really important in the early days of helping to get magic more international um, and getting us because we obviously now... We're in 11 languages and we're in a lot of different places. Um, Anyway, guys, uh, I'm now driving up to work. That uh, is just a bunch of conventions and how they all uh, connected to magic. So... uh, I think conventions are a big part of the gaming world and there's no surprise that a lot of big events happen at conventions. You know, that when I, when, like when I tell stories about famous magic events, it, a lot of them just were at conventions because the conventions are a big part of the gaming world. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, my trip through the mini gaming conventions and how they tie into magic. Um, but I'm now at work. Um, so we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of um, talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.